Good morning. Welcome to First Church. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of John and Joanne Hoagie, who will celebrate 65 years of marriage on Tuesday, January 16th. Happy anniversary. Next Sunday is our annual meeting. This year we're mixing things up a little bit. We're going to have a breakfast buffet in the ministry center. We will have a shorter business meeting this year, followed by a presentation by Pastor Joel, Tory, and the Spiritual Council. We encourage everyone to attend. There will be Sunday school next week for the youth. Children will stay in their classrooms until and meet the parents after the meeting is over. Also, the nursery volunteer sheet for 2018 is up here on the front pew for those of you that want to sign up. Now I'd like to invite Pastor Joel up to talk about Wonderful Wednesdays in the annual book. Thank you, Keith. Uh, since we're, ooh, excuse me, since we've already talked about the, the annual meeting, I'll start there. Um, we do have the, the books for the annual meeting. Uh, they're available here today for you to take home and look over um, before the meeting next week. It's got all the usual information in there. Um, I know some were available at each one of the doors, but there's also a basket at the table uh, where the children's bags usually are, and there's copies there that you can grab and take home with you. Um, if you notice, it's a little different this year. Um, we tried to simplify things. A lot of the information in, in the packet in years past, um, if you know, it's been pretty big and there's been very detailed. Um, we tried to simplify it um, in the book so that it makes sense and is easier to understand. Um, so that's what this is. Um, we hope it makes sense and we hope that you guys do take it home um, and, and take a look at it over the week so that we, when we come to the meeting next week, there's no surprises or anything like that. Um, if some of you are interested in the more complete financial report, those are available as well. Um, these probably look familiar to you. Uh, not the most exciting things in the world, but they're very detailed. So if you're a detail-oriented person or interested in this, these are available. You can take them home. The full report like this just isn't printed in the bulletin, just the necessary information. So both of those are available for you today and will be available again next week at our meeting. Um, if you do take one of the books today, we try to uh, I encourage you to bring it back with you so we can save on printing costs. Um, it's kind of a bigger book, so if you are able to take one home, uh, please try to remember to bring it back with you next next week as well. Um, that brings me then to, oh, actually, before I move on to Wonderful Wednesdays, again, I just want to reiterate what Keith mentioned. Um, I really do encourage you all uh, to be a part of the annual meeting next week. Uh, obviously, there's the business of the church that needs to be taken care of. We need to vote to approve the budget and nominations for the officers and all of that stuff that's good and important um, that we do every year. But we're also doing something a little different, and that's talking about uh, the mission statement and how we can live it out as a church, how we've been living it out um, in the years past and how we hope to continue to live it out in the future. And so we want you all to be a part of that conversation also. And so that's what that second half of the meeting is going to be all about. And so we really hope that you can stay and be a part of that because we feel like it's a very important conversation to have. Uh, that then leads us to Wonderful Wednesday. Uh, we had our planning meeting this week, and a lot of good planning was accomplished, and we're excited for what uh, is going to be coming up here starting next month, February 21st. Uh, we are still in need of help. Um, Wonderful Wednesday requires a lot of volunteers to make it happen. There's a lot of kids here, and they're all excited and full of energy, and so we need your help to, for, for, uh, to make the ministry happen. And so we're still in need of some positions. If you're interested, we need uh, three teachers to help or class leaders to help with uh, uh, ministry. They, they're the ones that help with homework in the classroom and make sure the kids are getting to where they need to be. Uh, we also need some help with the music ministry as well as the nursery. Um, those are kind of the three big areas of need. And so if you're able to help, even if you can't commit to all five weeks, if you can commit to a, a few weeks here or a few weeks there, that would be a huge help to us. And so if that is a, of interest to you and you're able to help out with that, I encourage you to talk to myself or Connie and we will, uh, we will get you, or Michelle Dillon, and we'll get you on the schedule and get you more information about that. But we know the kids are very excited about it. It's a, it's a great outreach into this community, and, and we need your help to, to make it happen and, and have a bigger impact than we've had in years past. Thank you. Please join me in the call to worship taken from Psalms 143, verse 7 through 10. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. 
Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Now let us stand and sing hymn number 382, Be Thou My Vision. Children, come forward for children's chat. Please take a time to greet your neighbor. Oh, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Well, I have a little prop here for us today. So today, Pastor Joel is talking about the rest of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're talking about your kingdom come and your will be done. What does it mean for your will to be done? Do you guys know? No? Hmm. Any of my older kiddos? What does it mean for your will be done? You got an idea? Follow God's word. Good job. So we have two sides here. And we have all of these words. And I need your help to tell me if it's something of the world, which would be maybe something bad, or something of God, which something is good. So we're going to go down the road here. You guys want to tell me? This is help others. Which side should it go on? God's side. Pinching. World side. Scotch tape is extra sticky today. Kicking. World side. Stealing. World side. Happy. God side. You are one step ahead of me, Missy girl. 
<laughs> um, taking a friend's toy. Worldside. Be like Jesus. Godside. Well, we'll just hold that. Um, obeying parents. Godside. Uh, not listening. Worldside. Um, opening the door for others. Godside. Forgiveness. God's side. Whoop. Forgive me, I tore it. Angry. Okay. Sharing. God. Eating junk food. World side. Calling people names. Worldside. Doing our chores. Godside. Being patient. Godside. Lying. You guys are doing awesome at this. All right. Cheating on our homework. You got it. Saying please and thank you. Good job. Well, it's not wanting to come off. Please come off. Listening. Being a friend to everyone. God's side. Not doing our chores. World side. Being kind. God's side. Saying, give it to me. World side. And last one, love. Which one do you think that's on? God's side. So do you guys see a pattern here? What color is on one side and what color is on the other? Uh, White and black. White and black. Black is on the world side and white is on God's side. The colors are to represent sin. So black is to represent sin. Sin is of the world. When we sin, we're being of the world. And white, white is supposed to represent pure or good or holy. So when we talk about those things, it's being of God. What's down the middle? What color is the line? Red. red. What do you guys think the red represents? Oh my gosh, Olivia Opperman, good job. The blood of Jesus. Jesus came and he came for the world and he died on the cross and he shed his blood for us. Now this is a line. So when we talk about a line, which is over your guys' heads, but think of a line meaning centered. So if we center ourselves, we're drawing a straight line. Is it going to be zigzagged? No, because there's that means obstacles. Is it going to be wavy? No, because that means obstacles. So I have something for you. The older kids might get it and might remember it a little bit more, but maybe parents can help the younger kiddos remember this. A line. A line means a life in God's name. So when we align ourselves with Christ, we are doing all of these things that are good and trying to avoid doing all of those things that are bad. Okay?
So if you guys want to bow your heads, we'll go ahead and pray real quick, okay? Dear Jesus, thank you for all of these kids who are here this morning. Father, I pray for these hearts and help them and guide them to be in alignment with you and do your will. Lord, be their shepherd this coming week and the weeks to come, drawing them closer into your arms. We pray through your son. Amen. Lost this week in Iraq, Specialist Javon Shavante Sullivan, Specialist, 24 years old, lost in El Anbar province from Fort Mill, South Carolina. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. You are holy. You are righteous. And you're abounding in love and faithfulness towards your people. And so we are so, we, we are so grateful that we can come to you this morning. We can lift up our concerns and our needs in prayer. We can come before you with, with heavy hearts and, and, and minds, Lord, that, that are sometimes distracted. And we can come to you knowing that you care and, and you're able to meet us where we're at. And that you are able to work in any situation, any difficulty, any hardship that we face, uh, you are there with us and you promise to, to guide and to care for us according to your will. And so, Lord, uh, we praise your name this morning. We worship you for all that you are and all that you have done. And Lord, as a, as a response to that, we, we ask that your will would be done in each of these situations. We're reminded of your goodness as we think of the many ways that you've, you've helped us in the past. And we, we think of your faithfulness as we, as we look forward to the future and the uncertainty that it brings. We know that no matter what we face in this life, that you are constant, you are good, and you are loving. And we can hold on to that um, through all of the good and the bad times that we face. Lord, we are so grateful that you, you, care, uh, you care deeply for your creation. You care deeply for us. And so we pray that you would meet us where we're at. We pray for the many names and the situations that are represented on our prayers and concerns list. We pray that your, your peace, your provision, your guidance would be with them. I pray, Lord, for, for all those concerns, Lord, that are the, the burdens that people carry in here this morning. Uh, for those that are listening on the radio, Lord, the, the concerns and the, the hardships that they're facing. You know each and every one of them. You know each and every one of us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would work in those situations, that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we lift all these things up to you and pray that you would, um, you would work according to your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Our offering this morning goes to support Agape Ministries in St. Mary's. And the choir will sing praise his holy name.
please remain standing for the scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we'll remain standing and sing hymn number 371, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. seated. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you. We don't ever want to take it for granted, this opportunity to gather together as your people and lift up our voices as one, singing your praise and and praying to you and now hearing your word preached and and studied. We pray, Lord, that, that our focus and our attention would be on you in this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. thinking about uh, the series on prayer and the series on the Lord's Prayer and learning to pray as Jesus taught his disciples. And, and last week we, we looked at the first lines of the Lord's Prayer, words that we're so familiar with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we, we talked about how that is a, a, a way to start prayer, is, is a praise and worship and our attention and our focus is on him. And, and as I was thinking about that this week and, and looking at the message this, for this week, I was reminded of how when we're confronted with something that is, that is beautiful, something that is, that, that is fascinating, something that just draws our attention, it has an impact on us, doesn't it? I love to read, and, and I know I've read several books in my life that I, as I was reading it, I just was, I was moved by it, and, and it made an impact on me. And I, I, I can say that I wasn't quite the same having experienced reading that book, having experienced that story, having, having heard and felt what was going on in the, in the story of, on those pages. It, changes, it changed me. It, it impacted me. And, and I was a different person. I responded 
as a result of having read a book that, that moved me like that. And, and other things can be beautiful and impactful as well. Movies, music, art. I remember um, when I was in college, uh, some friends of mine and I watched uh, the movie Hotel Rwanda. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, a, it's based on the true story of the massacres that happened and the, and the genocide that took place in Rwanda back in, I believe, the early 90s. I didn't fact check myself, so hopefully I'm correct about that. And it was just this moving and captivating story that really opened up our eyes to the reality that, right, there's a world beyond the United States, right? There's, there's more going on in the world than what we experience and what we understand in our own hometowns. And, and it just opened my eyes to, the, to seeing the world as a, on a much grander scale. And, and there's, there can be experiences like that. You have experiences where you, you see you're confronted with something that is that just seems real and profound and majestic and beautiful all at once. And it changes you. And I believe that's what this passage we're coming to, this part of the Lord's Prayer, is meant to be our response to the, to the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God that we're confronted with in those opening lines of the prayer. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. There's something beautiful and profound and majestic about that, where, where our attention is no longer on ourselves, but it's drawn heavenward. It's drawn to the Lord. It's, our, our focus is now on Him. And then we are changed by that. Right? We respond to it. We're impacted by the reality of who God is and, and what He's done for us. Prayer begins with our focus on God and our, of worship and praise. And, and so next we then respond to that reality. We're changed. We're impacted. If we truly understand and have truly experienced God as our Father in heaven, then we'll be changed as a result of that. Our focus is directed in a different path than it was before. Towards Him and towards His will and His mercy and His grace and His goodness and His holiness and His truth. And so we respond to His, his character by seeking to be obedient to His will by seeking to commit ourselves to the purposes of His kingdom and not our own agenda. That's what this next line in the Lord's Prayer is all about. Our focus is still on Him. Our focus is still on who God is and all that He's done for us. And we respond to that by asking for His kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, true worship, true understanding of God demands a response we can't just go on living life the same way we had before if we truly understand who God is and what He's done for us. We can't be just left unchanged. It, it, we're forced to, to respond in some way. And we get an awesome example of this in the book of Romans. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, Paul writes uh, for the first 11 chapters just this amazing um, theology, his understanding of God and all that God had done through Jesus Christ to bring us grace and, and reconciliation, the reality of sin in this world and, and all that God had done to defeat sin and the consequences of sin on our behalf. And just a couple months ago, as we were talking about the five solas, we, we read this, this passage which concludes Romans chapter 11 of this great doxology and praise of God. Paul writes in, in Romans 11, beginning of verse 33 to the end of the chapter, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments in His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that we should repay them, for the, that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And so Paul concludes these first 11 chapters after he had done this deep dive into, into God's character and His holiness and His grace and His mercy. And he concludes with this great uh, song of praise to the Lord. And then we hear this, the opening verses of chapter 12. It's a turning point in the whole book of Romans. And it gives us an example of how we should respond to the truth of who God is and, his, and, and the reality of His grace and His, and his holiness. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, Paul was demonstrating for us, and and Jesus is demonstrating for us in this prayer, that the proper response to to God's worship, the proper response to, to having an encounter with the God of the universe, is responding with obedience. Asking God to transform us and to change us from the inside out so that we can be obedient to His will, so that we can know Him and serve Him better. And so that's why how we think about God, it really does impact how we act and how we think and how we live and also how we pray. If we truly understand God for who He is and appreciate all that He's done for us, it will change us from the heart and it will change us in our mind and it will change how we live in a positive way that lines us, more, lines us up more and more with His will and His kingdom. It's change that takes place at a very deep level. In his book, Dan, uh, Transforming Prayer, Daniel Henderson talks about how our, our, our prayer life, having an encounter with the God of the universe, it changes us at a deep level. He says, in the truest sense, a person cannot pray and remain the same. The commitment to seeking God's face in prayer when properly understood and faithfully engaged empowers personal change at the deepest level. That's what we're talking about when we, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about, it's about asking God to change us. It's about asking God for His will to be done, not just in general, right? Not for His will to be just done in the world, but for it to be done in my life. To be done in my church, to be done in my community, to be done in my country, in my world. That's what it means to pray for His kingdom to come and to, for His will to be done. It's to see that change that, that takes place in our own lives and, and in the world as a whole. So the question may be, what, what are we talking about when we talk about God's kingdom? When we talk about His kingdom coming, what does that look like? I think in a very basic sense, we can define God's kingdom as being present when and where God's will is being done and is being experienced by His people in the world. See, the kingdom of God was a very theologically charged term throughout Scripture, right? This isn't something that Jesus just kind of came up with during his ministry. While the term may not be used in the Old Testament very much, that that exact phrase, kingdom of God, the theme of, of God's kingdom and God as king runs throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of expectations about what God's kingdom would look like. First of all, there was the idea that it would be a physical, political kingdom centered in Jerusalem. Right? That, that one day God would free His people from all of their foreign oppression, that, that they would be um, a free, independent nation once again with Jerusalem as their capital. And to go along with that, there would be a, a, a Davidic king uh, sitting on the throne. What I mean by that is, is someone from the line of David, right? This, this great king of Israel's past, someone from his line, from his ancestry, would come and be the king on the throne. In the Old Testament, there was understanding that that God's people was a covenant community. That God had made a commitment to the people and the people in return had made a commitment to the Lord to live and act and, and to be a certain kind of people. And so to be part of that community, to be part of... The kingdom of God was to live according to the law, was to live according to the customs and the, and the commitment and the covenant that God had made with His people. And it was seen in a, in a very future sense. One day, God would return. One day, God would make things right. One day, God would establish His kingdom forever. It was a very future-oriented um, kind of um, um, conception. And so what Jesus does in the New Testament is he adopts, but he also expands the imagery of the kingdom of God that we see in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus' first sermon in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' entire ministry was focused on, on proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God was no longer this future expectation, but it was becoming a reality in the person and the work of Jesus. 
And so we see some, some distinctives here in the New Testament about what the kingdom of God is really about. The expectation was that it would be a physical, political kingdom, but Jesus teaches that it's not that. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not centered in a particular place or time. It's not about everyone becoming uh, like Israel, but it's about the truth of God's goodness and His grace and His holiness expanding to all nations and all places at all times. And one day, people from all nations, Jew and Gentile alike, would be part of that kingdom. There's this beautiful image in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. The prophet John seeing this vision of what, what heaven is like and what God's kingdom is all about, says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Think of that image. Think of that kind of perspective of the kingdom of God is, is bigger than the first church in New Knoxville. Right? The kingdom of God is bigger than, than United States Christianity. Right? The kingdom of God transcends place and time and people. It's about the the creator of the universe reaching out and and extending grace to all peoples through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we think about that kingdom, as we think about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, we realize that it includes people that don't always look like us or don't always think like us. It includes people from all countries, all places, including our brothers and sisters in Christ from countries like Haiti, and El Salvador, and the continent of Africa. People that have been made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and honor and respect. The kingdom of God is going to be a great uh, multitude of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, all brothers and sisters in Christ, all who have been redeemed by the Lamb and are now joined together in worshiping the Lord as we were meant to be. The kingdom of heaven is not about uh, having a, an earthly king rule over us, but it's about having the messianic king Jesus be our, our final authority and our Lord. Everything, including our very lives, come under His Lordship. Colossians 1, 15-20 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." See, to be in the kingdom of God is to relinquish our lordship over our lives and, and submit to King Jesus. That's a very foreign thing for us to think about as, as American Christians, right? Submitting our authority to someone else. But that's what God asks for us to do. To be part of His kingdom means that we recognize that our will is not what's the most important thing. It's to submit to God's will and, and ask that His will be done and not our own. In this new, this kingdom of God is about being a new covenant community. See, Christ fulfilled the old covenant and therefore set us free from it, set us free from sin and the consequences of sin. And so being a part of the kingdom of God is no longer about conforming to some external code of conduct. It's no longer about, about being a certain kind of people, but it's about allowing God to transform our hearts from the inside out. And in doing so, we will become more and more like Christ. We'll become more obedient to Him. But it's not about getting your act together first and then being allowed into the kingdom. It's about God in His graciousness and His His mercy receiving us into His kingdom so that He can then work in our hearts and transform us from that point forward. So that we can become more and more like Him. 
I mentioned that from the Old Testament, the kingdom, the concept of the kingdom was this idea that it was, it was already but not, or excuse me, the kingdom from the Old Testament perspective was that it was this future tense. One day God would make these things right. But with Jesus, we see that the kingdom of God is already breaking through. It's this idea that it's, it's already here, but it's not quite fulfilled. The kingdom of God begins to break through during Jesus' ministry. Remember when I was uh, a teenager, we, my youth group was going out to Denver, Colorado for a youth conference, and we drove from, from New York. That was a long trip in a van. <laughs> but during our trip, we went through all you know, the Great Plains. We went through the flattest land I have ever seen in my life. You, know, you could see just for miles and miles. And I remember looking out the window one, one of the days we were driving, and it was, it was this very cloudy and overcast day. But I remember looking out and being able to see as far as you can, you know, in, in the Great Plains like that. I could see these parts where the clouds, you know, where, the, where the sun was beginning to break through the clouds. And while it was stormy and while it was dark and overcast where I was, I could see these beams of light just breaking through the clouds on the horizon. You could see the, the sun shining through even in the, that dark time. I think that's a great image of what the kingdom of God is like now. It's not some future day. The sun's not completely shining yet, but we're seeing rays of light shining through the darkness. We're seeing God's kingdom breaking through in, in, in small ways and big ways as well. And so we saw that in Jesus' ministry with his healing, with his teaching, and ultimately with his death and his resurrection. God's kingdom being established in this world. And today we see it in things like transformed lives and hearts. People loving God and loving others as themselves as we're called to do in the great commandment. We see it in things like justice and peace and reconciliation taking place. When you see people relationships being restored, that's the kingdom of God breaking through. When you see peace reigning where there was conflict, that's the kingdom of God breaking through. When you see someone's life being transformed and them submitting to the Lordship of Christ and and trusting Him as Savior and Lord, that's the kingdom of God breaking through. Romans 14.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we see, I believe, certain marks of what the kingdom of God looks like in our church and in our own lives. The kingdom of God is present where God is being glorified. right? When He gets all the praise and the glory and the attention is on Him and not ourselves. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is King, where He has the final authority, where He's the head and, and we're not putting our, our, our own agenda where God's agenda should be. The kingdom is where the Holy Spirit equips and and empowers believers to live according to God's will. And it's where God's people respond to the work of God in their lives in a positive way with obedience and worship. So that's what the kingdom looks like. When When we pray for the kingdom to come, we're praying that that would become a reality in our lives and in our church and our community. And Jesus goes on to say that, that we should pray that our, His will would be done. See, this isn't something new or something different. It's simply just an expansion and a clarification on what He had talked about in the first place. See, God's kingdom is where His will is done. And so to pray for His will to be done is to pray for His kingdom to come. And God's will is ultimately revealed in God's Word. We cannot claim to know God or His will if we don't really know the Scriptures. I mentioned the great commandment and the great commission. That's like the very core of what it means to follow Christ. To love, our, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment and the great commission is to go and to make disciples of all nations. That's what it's about. That's what it means to do God's will is to live those out in your daily life. It's to align ourselves with those purposes. But to pray that and ask that God's will be done is, is not to doubt that it's going to happen. Right? When we ask that God's will to be done, it's not like there's some air of uncertainty about whether or not God will accomplish His will. He will. He will accomplish His will. To pray your will be done is less about convincing God to do His will than it is about asking God to help us live it out. It's about asking God to transform our hearts to line up with His heart. 
It's about asking God to give us that Holy Spirit-enabled obedience to His Word. It's about asking God's will to be done here in my family, in my church, in my community, in my world. And in order for that to become a reality, in order for God's will to be done in those places, we need to be willing to allow God's will to be done in our own lives. We need, to, we need to be that change. We need to ask God to start here in order for me to then line up with God's will, in order for me to then make a difference for His kingdom in every area of my life. Remember Romans 12, 1-2. To be a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, true and proper worship, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's what it looks like to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. To ask God to do that in our own lives. And it means putting God's will ahead of our own. We usually come to prayer with an agenda, right? Think about, reflect on, on our normal experience with prayer. We say, God, here's my list of items. Sign off on the dotted line, right? And then we'll be done. But praying for God's will to be done is to... to to not assume that we know what's best for ourselves. To not assume that our will is what's most important. But it's to, to worship God and to, to realize that His will is bigger than ours. And it's to follow the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He provided the perfect example of this kind of attitude in prayer. The night that he was betrayed, he knew what was coming. He knew what he was about to experience. And so he prayed and said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. If there's any other way for this to happen, if there's any other way for for your will to be accomplished, please, let's do it. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. See, in a sense, that was fixing what had happened in the garden back with Adam and Eve. With Adam and Eve, their their taking of the fruit and eating of the fruit was saying, not your will, God, but mine be done. Thousands of years later, Jesus in the garden, the perfect example of obedience and submission to the Father's will, said, no, not my will, but yours be done. And we're to pray that, that His will is accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. See, Christianity is not about escapism. We get, sometimes get in this mindset that we just need to grin and bear it, right? That, that this life is hard and it's broken by sin and there's nothing that we can really do about it. If we just hold on tightly, one day we'll be done with this world and off into heaven. But that's not what Christianity is all about. The, the concluding scene in the book of Revelation is not about Christians escaping to heaven, but it's about heaven coming down to earth. It's about the new Jerusalem and the new earth and the new creation. And about God finally dwelling with His people on earth as it was meant to be in the first place. And so as we pray, it's not about just trying to, to get out of our, get out of this world or escape to another world. But it's about allowing and asking God to bring heaven to earth. About the kingdom of God becoming a reality here and now. God does care about our physical needs in this world. And so we should then, therefore we should actively seek and work towards redemption and restoration here and now and not just ignore issues as we see them. It also means that we need to be the answer to prayer. We need to ask God to put us to work. We need to ask God to allow us to be part of the solution. God has given us all particular gifts and talents and abilities so that we can have a positive impact for the kingdom of God in this world. Ephesians 4 talks about, talks about how, how God, through His Holy Spirit, gives certain gifts to His people. And he says that all of those things have been given in order to, to equip His people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that people can be encouraged and, and, and in doing so, we can all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, excuse me. So to pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not, it reminds us that prayer is not a means 
for us to accomplish our will, but it's a means for God to accomplish His will in us. And that means that sometimes we've got to let go of our sense of control. I think that's a hard thing. I think one of the reasons why this sermon was so hard to, to come, uh, hard process this week for me was that, that it, I was confronted with the reality that to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to give up my sense of what I think should be done. To give up so, that, that illusion of control that I have over my life. It's to submit to God and realize that I don't always have it all together. But to trust in the one who does. To trust in the one who does have it all together. Who is sovereign over this world. Who is in control and can, can even accomplish His will through the most imperfect means and imperfect people. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with sometimes. And so in conclusion, there's just three things I want to remind you of as a result of what we've talked about here today as it relates to our prayer life. First of all, we can, knowing all of this, we can pray confidently for God's kingdom to break through in your life, community, church, and world. Pray for people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and experience His presence in, in, in their lives. Pray for, for God to strengthen this church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to do His will in this world and be ambassadors of Christ's kingdom for the enemy's grip on this world to lessen and for God's kingdom to break through in real and practical ways. Second, we can pray confidently for God's help to humble ourselves and live in obedience to His will, to put aside our own agenda and pursue Him, to know the Bible and allow it to have authority and rule over us. And third, we can pray confidently for God's redemption and restoration of this world. Ask God to work here and now, not just someday in the future. Ask God to you and ask God to use us, to use me, to use you as instruments of his peace. I'd like to conclude with with a prayer from St. Francis. It's a prayer that reminds us that God's to, to submit to God's will, to, to ask His kingdom to come, is to ask Him to use us in that process. So St. Francis says, Lord, make me an instrument of Your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much look So much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is by giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Father, thank you for this message this morning. Thank you that through your word, through your son, through your spirit, we are made new. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray as Jesus taught to, to, for your will to be done, your kingdom to come in the here and the now. And I pray that you'd equip us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and in closing, sing number 42, Seek Ye First.
And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.